Well, we are in between two series. We just got out of a series on relationships, and we're about to go into a series through the book of Galatians. But here we are at the Sunday in between, and Scott told me a few weeks ago, you can preach on anything you want. That's kind of fun, right? Kind of got excited. So naturally, I landed on fear and anxiety. Good topic, isn't it? <laughs> um, anyone in here, you know, some people have like the spiritual gift of faith. Some people have the spiritual gift uh, of maybe craftsmanship or, or love or pastoring. Anyone in here have like the spiritual gift of freaking out? Anyone have that spiritual gift? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Who in here at any point in time, maybe right now or in the past, that some situation in your life has been marked by fear and or anxiety at any point? Come on, that should be everyone, right? We have all suffered from some type or at some point in our life, something has been marked by fear and anxiety. And you know, fear, um, we all experience it. But anxiety, uh, it's a little bit different than fear. It's when fear turns into uh, something much greater than just the act of worrying about maybe one specific thing. That anxiety is, is it causes your body harm and abnormal stress out of your daily life. But anxiety, it's growing in the U.S. at really an alarming rate since the 80s and 90s where we're at today. According to the American Psychiatric Association, 40 million adults are affected by anxiety. That's one out of five Americans. They also ran a survey, this, 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 uh, uh, the uh, American Psychiatric Association, they ran a survey to see, well, how fast is this growing? And so they ran a survey in 2017 and then also 2018. And what they found is that by year over year, it's been growing by 5%. That's a lot of people suffering and dealing with stress, fear, and anxiety. And you know, there's a lot of reasons that some of these groups have pointed to why we suffer from more anxiety or fear or these types of disorders or just intense stress than in the past. It could stem from, uh, we live in such a connected uh, world nowadays that anything is at the tips of your uh, fingers, isn't it? Um, Anything from uh, WebMD, right? You can like, what kind of cancer do I have today, right? <laughs> like you can do that. You have social media, that there's intense pressure and, uh, from social media on how you should live or what your life should look like or all the ways that you're failing as a mom or as a dad or as a, you know, all these different things that social media plays this huge part. Uh, there's climate change. There's nuclear apocalypses that are always around the corner. There's the Ebola virus, flesh-eating viruses, antibiotic resistance, um, there's ever-growing economic inequality and the ever-present fake news. <laughs> there's a lot that what we deal with today, we didn't deal with. And those of you who are a little more seasoned in life, you probably know that even more so than some of us younger people. What we deal with today is very different and unique from what it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. There's a lot of pressure today and a lot of information that we deal with. And when there's fear in the mind, the body feels the stress. 
And some of you in here are probably going through and experiencing stuff that I have not, but I am not a newcomer to stress and anxiety. I'll tell you that, okay? I have spent time in counselor's offices dealing with fear, stress, and anxiety. Um, there's physical symptoms when you have stress, fear, and anxiety. I don't know about you, but when you get really stressed or anxious, and then you get an eye twitch. I get an eye twitch. So like if you ever know me and like all of a sudden my wife, she knows when I'm stressed when all of a sudden my eye starts <laughs> twitching. She's like, babe, are you feeling stressed again? It's like, yeah, I am. And then people will see me on the, on the street or like in Costco or something. They're like, I think my pastor just winked at me. Like <laughs> that was a little weird. Yeah. But I get this eye twitch. But I've gone through seasons in my life where it's beyond just stress, but it's real legitimate, intense anxiety, where you get chest pain, um, where I've spent uh, with a month with a monitor hooked up to my heart to test the level of, of uh, discomfort or pain I'm experiencing from heart palpitations, um, where you get dizzy, lightheaded, brain fog. You have all those things that you, you uh, just feel like weird out-of-body experiences because of the anxiety that you're feeling or some type of panic attack that might come on. Or sometimes I'll get nervous about getting nervous. Anyone with me? Come on. This is real talk this morning, okay? Like this is the real talk where you get anxious about getting anxious. That's me. I, I, I have dealt with these things, and they range from, for myself, from trauma in the past, but also just other strange things. Like, I don't know why. Like, I don't like getting on airplanes. There's no trauma in the past. I didn't, like, experience a plane crash or anything. But, like, there's things that I've dealt with that is stem from trauma, but then there's other things that are just, it's just the way my brain is wired, that we all have fears. We all struggle with stuff. And that creates a lot of unique days in our life. How do you deal with that? And so, what's God's answer for fear and anxiety? And you know, Scott gets a little anxiety when he tells me I can preach on anything, so this is, this is for you too, man, all right? First, let's look at, I wanna do two things this morning. I wanna look at five ways that fear is a liar that fear lies to us. And then I wanna look at five ways uh, that's God's answer to that fear and anxiety. Sound good? So we're gonna look at two different Bible passages, that's it. And then hopefully it's practical. So uh, let's look at 1 John 4, 18. Um, this is what it says. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Now, and who's ever felt that way before, that you feel like, there's something looming in front of you. I'm going to get hurt. I'm fearful. I'm anxious. I'm going to experience pain. I'm, something bad's going to happen to me. I'm going to be, you know, punishment. I'm going to have some type of punishment come my way, some harm come my way. And if this morning, if you have fear or something before you that is bigger than you, something in front of you that brings worry, anxiety, fear, if the future is uncertain, and you feel scared. Fear oftentimes has to do with punishment or the pain of it, especially the thoughts of it, afraid of that some type of harm is coming your way, that you're gonna experience some, 
some harm about for yourself, your family, your friends? Are you going to experience pain in your life? That fear oftentimes is just a result of the fear of that pain or punishment that you might feel for some thing. And we all avoid pain at all costs, don't we? No one goes to the gym because they want to feel the pain, right? No one uh, goes through life like wanting to enjoy pain. We, we uh, avoid pain with any way, anything we can do. Uh, when my brother, myself, and uh, my cousin, Luke, we were all about to get either about to get engaged or some of us were engaged at the time, we had this like bro code, you know, that we were all together one time and it was like, we're about to get married and like lose our bachelor self. And so we're like, what, what would any three bachelors do right before they get married? Go get tattoos, right? And so we all had this idea of like, let's just go get like bro tattoos to remind itself that like we're bros, you know, and wives don't mean anything or whatever. It was just terrible, terrible adolescence at its best, you know, that like you just can't comprehend anything very well. And so we go in to get tattoos. And my cousin, he already had a few tattoos, so he was, a, he was uh, normalized a little bit to the pain. So he went and got his tattoo. We were all going to get the same tattoo, the bro, same bro tattoo. And so he goes in and gets his. And I'm kind of watching him. Like, he grimaces a little bit in pain, but like something like, I think I can handle that. It doesn't look too bad. He gets his tattoo. And then my brother, Zach, goes up. And Zach, if you're watching, Sorry. <laughs> Zach goes up, he's never had a tattoo before. And he, he puts it on like his back on his like shoulder blade, which apparently is kind of a touchy place to get a tattoo. It kind of hurts, I guess. And so there I'm watching Zach get this as he's like etching in his tattoo and he's just dying, grimacing in pain, intense, deep, like, ah, all the way to the point where he passes out. Oh. He's just out cold and he just lumps over in the chair. Guy's just like, well, this makes it easier, you know? <laughs> and so there I am, and I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> Peace. I bailed on the bro code. I was like, I can't, I can't follow through on the tattoo. So there my brother and my cousin, they got the bro, bro tattoos, and here I am with nothing. Because I looked at that, and it's like, who wants to go through that type of pain? What kind of person would drive yourself to that type of pain? No one. We avoid pain. We look at it and we go, I don't want that. And so the fear in our mind oftentimes is a result of, of punishment or pain that we think is going to happen to ourselves. And the Bible's clear about that. And so here's a few thoughts. That, you know, fear, it really is just this vision without hope. Fear takes any hope and it drives it away. That fear robs us of hope for today and it replaces it with some impending punishment or pain in the future. That's what it does. So first thought is this. We're going to have five thoughts on how fear is a liar and then five thoughts on how God wants to replace fear and anxiety in our life. First is that fear only travels to the worst case scenario. Fear only travels to the worst case scenario. That that fear never will take you to the goodness of God. Everything always only ends in crisis. And you've probably been there before. That will only ever end bad for you. All the, this situation, it can only end bad. It can only have a bad outcome. When you see all doom of tomorrow, it robs you from any joy that you can experience today. This is the person who goes to bed with a sore throat 
and you wake up in the middle of the night, you're feeling a little anxious, and by the time morning comes around, you're sure through uh, diagnosing yourself through WebMD medic, uh, you know, uh, treatment thing online, we put in your symptoms that you have the Ebola virus. And you wake up and you're like, I gotta go check myself into a hospital, I got Ebola, and you, but it's like you just went to bed with a sore throat. Like how do you, you know, that's where fear, it only ever ends in the worst case scenario. And it robs you from the joy that you can experience today or right now. Second is fear turns you into a false prophet. And those of you who have friends or yourself or a spouse that, that deals with a lot of fear and they project that out a lot, that this is what's going to happen. It's going to happen like this. Here's what's going to happen to me. It's only going to be bad. It's only going to be this. And maybe in the end, when that day rolled around, it wasn't as bad as you thought it was going to be. That you're prophesying about a future that God never destined for yourself. And that it turns you in to a false prophet. Third is fear ruins relationships. Fear ruins relationships. And I don't want to say this by saying that if you're experiencing some type of anxiety disorder, that you can't have friends or everyone around you is going to leave you. No, if you're legitimately experiencing anxiety disorder, I've gone through something intense before. I sat in a counselor's office for a year, and it really helped. I mean, if th that's you, you need to seek some real legitimate help. But if you don't, and you just let it manifest over time and over years or months, fear oftentimes ruins relationships. When you get gripped by anxiety or fear, you become like a grenade with the pin pulled and thrown in the middle of your relationships. Um, you become very emotional and fragile. I heard one person say this like this, that when you have deep fear and anxiety, it's like your soul has a migraine. Anyone in here ever had like an actual, you know, like head migraine, right? Migraine. You know what that's like, right? That when you have that, that migraine, when someone like drops just like a needle next to you on the floor, it's like a gun just went off in your head. You know what I'm talking about? That sound is magnified. Someone flicks the lights on and it's like someone just hit your face with a truck, right? That like sound is magnified, lights are magnified. It's just the pounding pressure that when you're deeply gripped with fear and anxiety, what happens is it's like your soul has a migraine. That anyone says anything and all of a sudden you have a reaction that's bigger, all of a sudden you start yelling at people, all of a sudden your emotions, your fear, your, your anger, your whatever, depression, it just takes over your relationships. Everything is magnified and intense. And a result of it is you exhaust people when that happens. That the people around you, even the people who love you the most, they grow weary because it's like your soul has this migraine and you're constantly uh, on edge or uh, pins and needles. Fourth is this, is that fear also makes us selfish. Fear makes us selfish. And have you ever been in a situation like this or know someone in a situation like this that they're very scared, very anxious, and it's, hey, I'm scared, everyone. Everyone stop what you're doing right now and pay attention to my crisis. This is what Facebook is just made for. You know, like, it's like... Mark Zuckerberg had no idea that what started out to be a dating thing turned into like a crisis management software, right? That like... Everyone, stop what you're doing and pay attention to me. And oftentimes we forget that everyone has struggles. 
oftentimes we forget that everyone's hurting. There is no person on planet Earth that just has everything together, has all their emotions in check, and is just going through this perfectly blissful life. Oftentimes we forget that. And we want everyone's attention, focus, and energy onto my problem, my crisis, what I'm going through right now. And fear makes us very selfish. And, and oftentimes, people who, the most hurting people can be the most selfish people. And we love them, and I love them, but oftentimes that is the case. Fifth is fear is like a spirit that needs to be cast out. Now, on this topic right here, we could have an entire message over it. And we actually do a, one full night on this during our Rooted uh, uh, curriculum. That if you ever go through Rooted and you remember Strongholds Night, that's this right here. And if you've never been through Rooted, go through it. You'll look at this in detail as you go through that, or maybe one day we'll do a really good sermon on it. But Fear is like a spirit that needs to be cast out. Because we, what we see in 1 John there is we, it says that fear is cast out by, you remember? Love. That's right. Fear is cast out by love. And if we don't pay attention to that and we don't cast that out, what happens that we see in Luke 11, is that Jesus talks about the parable of the strong man, that we need someone stronger than ourselves, that you can try and clean up and you can try and fight the areas in your life and you can kind of get rid of all of it and you can kind of sweep up your life and your house. And what Jesus says is that as that spirit leaves, that he'll come back and he'll find the house all tidied up, but he'll bring seven worse with him. And that oftentimes if it's not dealt with, that you all can become even more fearful and even more anxious as a result of it. That if we don't replace the fear in our life with God's love, that will only get worse. That we can either, either live in fear of the future or we can have faith in God's love today. And so what that means is we need a deep, intimate relationship with God. Not just once a week on a Sunday morning, but every single day. We should be opening our Bible. We should be praying. We should be in healthy community. That's why we, we provide our, our prayer Bible journal cards. It gives you supplemental uh, uh, reading and interacting with the scripture and receiving from God on your own time that we need intimate relationship. Otherwise, that fear will only get worse. And on another note on Luke 11, talking about that, is that the enemy is real. And, and, and not all fear or anxiety is, is just a spiritual attack, but sometimes it can be. And here's the thing about your enemy, is that we get tired. We get sick. We need to sleep. We need to eat. And the enemy doesn't. The enemy doesn't get tired, doesn't get sick, doesn't need to eat, doesn't need to sleep. The enemy doesn't need any of that. You have limits to your humanity. And that what you need is something more than yourself and humanity can provide, that your own human nature can provide for yourself. That is where you need someone stronger than yourself. That Jesus lays out in Luke 11, that who is stronger than you? That is Jesus Christ. That is the person and the presence of Christ in your life who will defend and protect you on your behalf when you can't. So 
What does God say about fear, anxiety? What's the answer to fear, anxiety? And there's a lot of places you could go to in the Bible. You could go to Psalm 91. You could go to Matthew chapter 6. But today we're going to focus in on one specific passage, which is Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. So with that, let's just read this whole passage together. And then we're going to take just a verse-by-verse examination of this passage to see how do we deal with that. So, Uh, Starting in verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now let me just point out really quick, anytime in one Bible verse that that, uh, uh, Scripture has to repeat itself, pay attention, okay? Like that's an important part. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness, or other translations say your reasonableness, be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. First, number one, five thoughts here. Number one is look for the good. Look for the good. Verse four says, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. Look for God's presence and provision on a daily basis. Find ways you can be grateful and thankful for something each and every day. Oftentimes we hear that there's two types of people. There's the pessimist and the optimist. That the pessimist says things are always bad all the time. And the optimist says things are only good all the time. The half glass full and the half glass empty. But I heard uh, one uh, uh, Christian pastor say, And a better way to describe how we should live is should you live as a pessimist or an optimist? And he said that uh, uh, pessimism and optimism, it's more like two train tracks that run parallel by each other. And one is fear and one is good. One is pain, one is God's provision. And that as Christians, that what we're supposed to do is understand that yes, there Every day, there is one track you could be on or, or another. That it doesn't mean that you never look at the pain around the world. It doesn't mean that you just always turn your blind eye to any of the bad and you just, it's only ever good. It, no, it's that we understand that there's two tracks, but where do you put the lion's share of your energy? Is most of it just going to doom and gloom on every day? Or is the lion's share going to the goodness of God and his provision while knowing that, yes, there is two tracks there? Second thing is make your will your rudder. Make your will your rudder. Philippians 4, 5 says, let your gentleness or other translations say, let your reasonableness be evident to all. And here's the thing with emotions. Emotions are really good. That God's given us emotions. He's given us emotions ranging from sadness to happiness to anger, all the things in the spectrum of emotions. They're good. God gave us uh, those emotions for a reason. And emotions are like a sail on a ship. They're strong and they drag you. And that when life comes and blows against the the sail, the the emotions, um, you need something to steer and to guide it. And your will, your reasonableness, or your gentleness should be like the rudder of the ship. That you need something. That even though you might be a really passionate person, you might be a really emotional person, and it's not bad at all as long as your will overrides your emotions and it can steer the ship. 
And when it says, let your reasonableness or your gentleness be evident to all, what it means is everyone sees your emotions. Like everyone sees the roller coaster of your life. And so what it says here is that everyone notices your emotions. What you should let everyone be evident is your reasonableness, your gentleness. That your emotions without a rudder, think of a, a like in, with gale force winds, just huge winds going in a sea, and there's a ship, a sailboat with a huge sail with no rudder. Where's that ship going to go? Literally anywhere, right? And probably nowhere good. It's going to end up crashed somewhere. With the rudder, you can actually take and manifest the, the emotions and the passion and the things that comes, and you can actually hone that and steer it where you need to go. You can steer it towards the goodness of God, his provision, and let your will override the emotions. So it's not bad to be emotional by any stretch of the imagination, but you need to let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Think of like a child. When children are small, before they grow up through, you know, adolescence, um, that uh, oftentimes kids can be really marked by their emotions, can't they? where like they have no reasonableness. It's uh, like you take one cookie away and it's like, this is the worst day ever, right? And it's just like, bah! The, and everyone sees that. Everyone knows that. They can observe that. But over time, as people get older, that some of the childlike emotional tantrums, those go away and your will overrides and where you go, oh, I've already had five Oreos. If I don't get a sixth, not the end of the world, right? And with some of the bigger situations in life, needs to be the same. That everyone notices, let your reasonableness be the thing that's evident to all. So the answer is, what I'm experiencing right now is real. The fear and the anxiety, how I'm feeling, it's real. The emotions I have, the stress I have. But I'm going to trust the Lord with that right now. Uh, I... Uh, was able to be counseled by a really wonderful counselor in town named Dave Hutchins. He's written a book. He started, helped start the Genesis Institute. And one of the things that he helped me discover with anxiety is this very thing right here, that, that oftentimes anxiety can manifest almost like grief, that if you've ever experienced deep loss, you know that grief kind of comes in waves. Like one day you'll be fine, and then the next day it's just like, boom, it just like hits you, you know? Oftentimes, Anxiety is kind of like that, that it's almost like waves, and it just, it can tend to hit you, and boom, and it's big, and then kind of subside, and then boom, it's big, and then kind of subside. And with understanding your emotions, that it's okay to feel that, that here you are, and you have anxiety, and you have the feelings you have are real, and it's almost like anxiety can be in the other room, right next to you. And you have the option to, yes, it's real, and you know it's pushing and it's pressing on like the walls around you. You have the option to open the door and just boo, let it in, or you have the option to, it's okay that it's there, it's okay that it's in the room next to you, and you can just be okay with that. And maybe a little leak in here or there, but that's okay, that you let your will override your emotions. Third is replace worrying with praying. That you have two options. You can worry by yourself or you can pray to the Lord. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer 
in petition. That you don't need to work harder. Sometimes we just want to work hard to figure out all the little situations in our life that just cause us stress and anxiety and fear. And I just got to seek resolution. Anyone like seeking resolution? Like, I just need to get this resolved. We like to do that. But here's the thing is that what God wants more than resolution in your life is he wants relationship with you. He wants relationship with you. And that's where we get to pray. I saw a funny meme on uh, the internet uh, months ago that it said, never in the history of calming down has anyone ever calmed down by being told to calm down? <laughs> You've ever seen that one before? It's just like so true, right? That like sometimes we just want to seek resolution. It's like, hey, you can have a friend that's like experienced this and you can be like, hey, just calm down. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing to be afraid of. And that's just the worst thing to tell someone who's freaking out because then they'll tell you all the reasons why they shouldn't be calming down and why they have even more to worry about. And then you start worrying for them and then you pro they project their fear onto you and then your fear for them and nothing has improved at all. There's been zero improvement. We always have something to be afraid of. There's still sin. There's still death. There's still evil. There's injustice. There's suffering. What the Bible doesn't say is that there's nothing to be afraid of. The Bible says, don't panic, but do pray. And that's why, if you remember, we had our prayer wall up here that people could go write prayers on. And in just a moment, I'm going to have the opportunity to, to read some of these prayers that were answered prayers by people. And we still have prayers in the back that you can go write on there and pray for. That prayer is a powerful thing. Great theologian and reformer Martin Luther said, pray and let God worry. Pray and let God worry. That prayer says when we pray to God and what we're, we're releasing to him is that prayer says someone needs to worry about it. God, you stay up tonight and you worry about it. Prayer says someone's got to feel the weight of this. God, I want you to carry it. You do it. I'm, I'm going to go take a break. That if you remember what Jesus said, that he said, come to me, those who are weary and heavy laden, and I will bring you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That prayer should be something that transfers. It's not just a complaining to God, but it's a transfer of worry to God. That God, you deal with it. You, you worry about it. I'm actually, I'm gonna get some sleep. When you feel the burden, how do you transfer that? It's through prayer. Fourth is tell God what you want. Tell God what you want. Now, those of you who are rule keepers in here, anyone a rule keeper in here? Come on, it's okay. Remember, it's real talk. We can, we can say it, rule keepers, right? I'm not the rule keeper, so there you go. My brother was the rule keeper. Rule keepers, um, sometimes we just want to do what people want us to do. And, and also, we want just God to tell us what he wants us to do. And it's like, well, just do it, Lord. Like, God, just tell me what you want, and I'll just do it. And then we'll kind of be like, okay, God, what now? And then what you hear is silence. And then you're like, well, do you exist? Do you care? Are you paying attention? Like, just tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. Let's get this resolved. But God wants to heal that. And most of the time, God's will is clearly laid out in the Bible. If you ever need to find God's will, crack open the Bible, and there it's laid out perfectly for you. God doesn't need to say anything new. He's already said a lot of really good things. And sometimes God gives us a supernatural word or, you know, some type of discernment, and that's great. 
But a lot of times, God isn't telling you what he wants you to do. He's waiting to hear what you want to do. What you want. As long as it's within his will, which is broad, that God's will and his path, um, it's not this narrow, nitpicky path along the way. Think of like a parent or grandchild. When a child comes up to you and they're like, what do you want to do, grandma? Oftentimes we'll be like, well, what do you want to do? You want to go do this? You want to go do that? That, that uh, There's two types of parents or grandparents, okay? There's like the red light parent and the green light parent. The red light parent is like, dad, can we have ice cream? No. Dad, can we go to the park? No. Dad, can we go outside? No. Dad, can we go do this? No. Or oftentimes grandparents are green light parents, right? <laughs> dad, can we have candy? Or grandpa, can we have candy? Yes. Can we stay up late? Yes. Can we eat ice cream? Yes. Can we go to the park? Yes. Can we do this? Yes. That there's red light and there's green light. And here's the thing, that we are the children of God and God is our father. And our, I like to believe that our father is like a green light father. That he wants the best for you. The Bible says that he wants to give you the desires of your heart. That he is not the, the mean father in heaven looking to strike you down with lightning. That he wants to give you the desires of your heart. He wants to hear from you and give you those things. And yes, God reserves the right to say yes, no, or later. He reserves the right to do that, put a red light on something or a green light on something. But God oftentimes wants you to experience the desires of your heart. Fifth and lastly is this, is to enjoy God's presence and peace. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The number one command in the Bible that we see it almost or over 150 times in the Bible is this. It's fear not. Over 150 times we see that. And now you can interpret that one of two ways. Either like a, like a direct order, like don't fear right now. Or you can interpret it as an invitation. Think of if you've ever had a child or a niece or nephew or when you were a child, when you were really afraid in the middle of the night and you had a really bad night terror and you were afraid, you're crying and you run in and you run up to your child. And what do you say as they're laying there in bed like, don't fear right now. No, it's like, dad, you just made it 10 times worse. Like this was the dream I had here, you know? No, that's oftentimes a, it's an invitation of, hey, son, you don't need to fear right now. It's going to be okay. And in all 150 times, somewhere nearby or right in the same command, what we see is this, where God says, fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. It's an invitation to say, I know you're afraid right now. I know you're experiencing something right now, but dad's here with you. It's going to be okay. I know what you're experiencing is hard but I'm right here with you. I know what you have to go into tomorrow. It's gonna to be difficult, but I'm gonna be there with you. I know where you're going here, but you know what? Fear not when you walk into that doctor's office. Not because what you're gonna experience is not real, but fear not because I'm right here. I'm right here with you. And you know, we wrote a lot of things on the wall here about things in our life that were real and pressing and fearful. 
things that cause us stress and anxiety. But I just wanna read you some that, you know, Revelation tells us that the enemy is defeated by two things, that it's by the blood of the lamb, by Jesus, what he paid on the cross for us, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. That there's something about being encouraged by what, how God has been faithful and loving. That this is not a, anything you say God does, but it's a fear not because I'm right here with you. And it might not be as bad as you're gonna think. Let me just read some of these for you. This comes from Mary. She said, I lost my beautiful daughter to Huntington's disease this past year. Now we're raising our 16 year old granddaughter. It's been a struggle. I'm grieving my daughter and she's grieving her mother. Sometimes it's been all over the place, but I've prayed to our father. And I know his hands are all over this. He gives me strength and continues to grow us and bless us every day. He is always with us. And I, will, I have never felt so much love. Amen. This is from Sarah. She says, delivered from chains of addiction, healing and restoration, taking place in all relationships across the board. This is from Lonnie. My friend had a tumor that was removed. The results were cancer. They took out a kidney because they were convinced. The, the, the test on them came back negative when they tested it again. Thank you, God. This is from Brad. Jesus helped me find my way back to him and I got saved. This is from Summer. I've been praying for freedom from worry and anxiety. In reading the Bible for the last several months, I found peace and reassurance quite unexpectedly. I found that I was worrying about what God actually wanted me to do and what he wanted me to use me for. As I have let go of worrying, I have experienced the most significant spiritual growth over my 30-year walk with God and was finally uh, bold enough to be baptized. This is from our own Scott Kilpatrick. Our house sold almost immediately. Praise God. God is also uh, solely clarifying his direction for our next season of ministry. Stay tuned. Phil, I asked for my back pain to be cured. I had back pain for a few years and did stretching, massage, chiropractors, braces, supports, very little relief. I wrote my request the Sunday where it had been prayed uh, for that night on the pr at the prayer meeting. That same night, I started running to improve my health. That next day, to current, no back pain. Being selfish, I thought I began running again and it cured my pain. Then the next Sunday here at church, I realized that the night I started running was the same night that the church prayed over my prayer request on the wall in the sanctuary. God answered my prayer immediately. This is from Summer. We were told by doctors we could not have children due to a medical condition. We were crushed. We asked that God's will be done. We hoped for a miracle, but we just wanted to accept his path for us. Within a month, we found out that we are gonna have a boy. William is our miracle. He is proof God's will be done. Last one, and we could have read plenty of these is that praying kicked my opioid addiction's butt. Praise God. That's from Kim. 
Isn't that good? I just want to leave you with this. Is that peace, it's like a soldier that guards you. And his name is Jesus. That if you think of Jesus, did he ever experience suffering or anxiety? Yes, he did. He was stressed. And if you think of the night before he was crucified, he was literally praying to God, take this suffering from me. I do not want to have to go to the cross. And in that moment, that was a red light moment, wasn't it? That God said, no, you're going to follow through with this. And it says that Jesus was experiencing so much pain and suffering and anxiety, he was sweating drops of blood. Medical professionals will tell you that condition is it's when your body experiences the most heightened amount of stress you can feel and that your body doesn't know how to do with all of it. He experienced so much anxiety, the highest level possible. But Jesus goes to the cross and he dies. And three days later, he rises again and he commits his soul to the Father. And what we see in Hebrews, uh, that it says that we do not serve or worship a high priest knowing Jesus who cannot sympathize with us. And I just want to close and pray for you tonight or this morning. We don't have a night service. I'm still in youth group mind sometimes. I just want to pray for you this morning. And I just want you to know that Jesus sympathizes with you where you're at. He knows where you're at. He's been there. Where you have said to him, I'm struggling, I'm fearful. He says, I've been there. I know. I'm here. Do not fear. I'm with you. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you. We thank you. God, we just give you these, these fears, anxiety that we feel. God, we just want to place it in your hands. God, what we experience is real. God, for the person who is deeply struggling this morning, God, would you replace their worry and take that burden upon yourself, Lord? God, for the person who's struggling with anxiety, God, would you just take their hand and just walk alongside them? God, we trust you and we believe in you that you can do all things. You work all things for your good and that we can enjoy the peace and prosperity of a life spent with you. Thank you for that. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, that is a solid word. I don't, I don't know why I was up all night worrying about giving Nate all that freedom on what to speak about. <laughs> Lesson learned, friend. Lesson learned. Hey, uh, if you're new, newer to the church and looking to get connected, I'd love to meet with you and say hello just over here for a few minutes. God bless you. We'll see you uh, next week. And then on the 8th, we'll see you at the campus beautification.